This podcast is sponsored by Bovida Humidity Packs. Bovida Packs are meant to be stored with your cannabis flower. This helps control the relative humidity inside your jar, which is going to control the cannabinoid and terpene profile of your flower over time, so you'll never have to experience dry, crusty nugs. You may have seen Bovida Packs in the weed bags you buy from the dispensary with your flower, but you can also purchase these for your home use. I highly encourage that you do, especially if you buy your flower in bulk. The packs come in a variety of sizes depending on how much bud you have at home. They are incredibly useful and affordable, and I noticed a huge difference when I started using these, and now I could never go back. I also want to note that every single Bovida employee that I have spoken with has been incredibly happy working at this company, and I have so much respect for them for being an ethical employer and helping fund education like this podcast. If you want to purchase some Bovida packs, the links will be available in the show notes of this episode. All right, welcome to episode six of the Bioactive Podcast. I am so stoked for this episode. We're going to discuss the ECS or the endocannabinoid system. You might have also heard it called the endocannabinoid system. Both pronunciations are valid and correct, and honestly, I use both, so use whichever one you're most uh, comfortable with. So this episode is going to get pretty scientific, I'm not going to lie. We are going to get into some of the details of the ECS because that's the fun of long-form content. We can. I will also upload an abbreviated version of this episode on YouTube for anyone who doesn't want to learn about these finer details. Speaking of YouTube, if you are a visual learner, you may want to watch us on YouTube because I will upload some graphics that might help you grasp these concepts. We're definitely going to keep referencing the ECS in future episodes, so I'm hoping that this episode will be a good resource in the future. Learning about the ECS is important for cannabis users and non-cannabis users. The ECS is a system that is vital for our survival, and every single animal on Earth has an ECS. Regardless if someone or something has ever used cannabis in their whole life, they're still going to have an ECS in their body that is vital for their day-to-day functions. Just a little bit of background knowledge. First, we're going to talk about cannabinoids, and there really are two main categories of cannabinoids. The ones that the cannabis plant makes are things like THC and CBD, and these in general are called phytocannabinoids because phyto means plant and canna is from the cannabis plant. And then the human body also produces cannabinoids. Because these are produced within our bodies, inside of us, endogenously, they are called endocannabinoids. And as far as endocannabinoids, there's a variety that exists, but there's two main ones that we're going to reference. The first is called anandamide, or AEA, and the second is called 2-AG. Both types of cannabinoids, whether it's from the plant or from the human body, act on the same receptors in the human body. They're called cannabinoid receptors. And for anyone unfamiliar with the term receptor, a receptor is like a signaling tower on the cells of your body that's waiting for the right signal to come by. 
In the case of cannabis, that tower is often the CB1 receptor or the cannabinoid 1 receptor, and the signal that activates it is either your endocannabinoids or THC or CBN or another compound from the plant. These receptors were named after the plant because using the plant led to the discovery of these receptors. The ECS was not discovered until 1988, which is actually relatively recently, but people have known that cannabis influenced their body for thousands of years. CBN, or cannabinol, was actually the first ever cannabinoid isolated, which quickly led to the search for other active molecules from the plant, like THC and CBD. After they isolated CBN and then started testing it and taking it, they said, mm, there has to be something else that's more active in this plant. The isolation of THC quickly sparked research into what receptor it acted on in the body. After all, if ingesting THC makes you feel something, it has to be acting on some sort of system in the body. Eventually, the cannabinoid 1 receptor was discovered, also known as the CB1 receptor, in the rat brain, and soon after, the cannabinoid 2 receptor, or the CB2 receptor, was also identified. When a lot of people hear the word cannabinoid receptor, they're immediately thinking that maybe we have these receptors in our brain for the purpose to feel the effects of cannabis. But in reality, it's likely the plant that actually adapted over time to interact with animals and insects and humans instead of the other way around. Humans and every other animal on Earth contain an endocannabinoid system that is vital to our survival. So the plant producing these compounds and acting on these receptors could cause some sort of effect, allowing it to have an evolutionary advantage. We're not going to get into evolution today. So then that begs the question, why do cannabinoid receptors even exist in our bodies? The existence of these cannabinoid receptors suggests that our body must produce something that is also activating the same receptor. When we think about biology or biochemistry, energy is always the main driver. Energy is the currency of our lives, and our body would not spend all the energy to produce all of these receptors if we didn't have something in our bodies to activate them. If you think about it, many people in the world will never use cannabis in their whole life, and they never have used cannabis. So why would their bodies be producing all of these receptors if it didn't have to? And this question led to the identification of our bodies producing endocannabinoid molecules that can activate the cannabinoid receptors. The discovery of the ECS is also really similar to the story of other receptors and systems in the body that we've discovered over time. One really good example here is the story of the opium poppy. Poppies produce compounds like codeine and morphine, and they're extremely bioactive in the body. So when people started using these plant extracts thousands of years ago, it was obvious that this plant was activating something in the brain. You could feel the effects instantaneously, which eventually led researchers to identify the endogenous morphine molecules in the human body, the ones that our own bodies produce. These are called endorphins, endogenous morphines, and they act similar to the compounds that the poppy makes, acting on the opioid receptors in the body. Now, I hear a lot of people say that CB1 receptors are only located in the brain and that CB2 receptors are located everywhere else in the body. 
and this is actually a decent generalization, but it's really not accurate. I think making this type of generalization can cause us to kind of not fully understand the system well, or maybe think about it in isolation. You and I have CB1 and CB2 receptors in almost every cell of our body. However, there are significantly more CB1 receptors in the brain or the central nervous system, and they're actually some of, if not the most, expressed type of receptor in the brain, which really demonstrates the importance of this receptor in the cell signaling of our brains. But beyond the brain, CB1 receptors are also in so many other tissues and systems throughout the body. CB1 receptors are present in the heart tissues, the liver, fat, stomach, testes, and the skin, as well as many other tissues. The CB1 receptors in your skin is why topical cannabis products work so well, because the active ingredients in the creams or salves that you're using act directly on these cannabinoid receptors in the skin. And this is what facilitates that anti-inflammatory response and so many other benefits. Also, your gut or your enteric nervous system is very rich in CB1 receptors as well as CB2 receptors. Now, as we're kind of talking about where these receptors are located in the body, I think it's a really good opportunity to talk about the safety of THC products and why you can't die from taking too much THC. Yes, you can feel overstimulated and overwhelmed, but you cannot die, whereas you can die from taking too much of many other substances. It has to do with the actual place that these receptors are located in the brain, like the physical location. So there are few, if any, CB1 receptors located in the brainstem, which is the region of the brain that controls the absolute vital functions for survival. Things like your heart beating and your lungs breathing. Because you don't have an abundance of these receptors in this region, you can't get overstimulated and it can't be shut down. Now, in the case of something like a strong opiate, the opioid receptors are abundant in the brainstem. And that's why if we overdo it on these substances, we need to take reversal drugs like Narcan in order to regain function of these receptors and be able to breathe and for our heart to beat again. So let's start to dive into why the endocannabinoid system is so unique and why there are so many benefits to using cannabis. So the main reason is because it works in the opposite direction direction as the other signaling systems in the brain. So if you're watching this on YouTube, it's probably going to get a little bit easier to understand, but I'm going to do my best explaining this with just words as well. Essentially, if two of your brain cells are talking, if two neurons are talking, it's always going to be working in the same direction. When I picture this, I always picture a river flowing. It's always flowing in the same direction. And this flow is whether your brain's sending messages like glutamate or dopamine, serotonin, GABA, etc. It's always moving from neuron one to neuron two. The signal is produced in neuron one, and then that signal is sent to neuron two, where the signal activates a receptor on neuron two, and that eventually is going to send some signal and action potential that causes us to do something or think something in the brain. So again, here's what's so special about the ECS is that it works in the opposite direction. We call this a retrograde signaling system and it's the only one that works this way. It allows your body a way of checks and balances to make sure that if systems are 
upregulated or downregulated or just dysregulated in any way, it's able to make changes so that balance can be restored to the system. So in the case of every other signaling system in your brain, neuron one is not going to have receptors on it. Neuron one is going to be producing the signaling molecules, sending them to neuron two, where that signal is going to hit that receptor and cause the effect. It's going with the flow of the river in the same direction. So if the signal is produced on neuron one, it's going to be sent down that river to the receptors on neuron two. But in the case of the ECS, the receptors that are receiving that signal are going to be on neuron one. And in this way, if neuron one, which is producing all those other signals for the other systems, if it's producing maybe too many of these signaling molecules, the ECS is going to be activated and it can stop some of those signaling molecules from being sent and start to regulate these other systems. Now, of course, this can get like incredibly, incredibly complex. It's already complex, uh, but it can get a lot more complex. And if people have interest in going even deeper, we can do that in future episodes. But really what I want to focus on here is that the CB1 receptor is on neuron one, whereas every other receptor for the other systems are on neuron two. And this allows for some control over these other systems, make sure that they're not overactive or out of balance. And even now at this point, we can start to conceptualize some of the advantages of activating the system if you do have a dysregulated system in the body and how this could lead to so many different medicinal benefits. This type of feedback system is so important and it's on almost every cell type and it's intertwined with all these other signaling systems because it offers a level of control. I think a really good example and a way to start to understand the ECS is learning how cannabis can help with chronic pain. So chronic pain is when you have continual or chronic pain because your body is producing too many pain signals. And for some people, that's because, yeah, you do have something painful happening all the time that's causing these signals to be sent. And then for other people, it's because even though you don't have something painful happening, your body's still producing these pain signals that are reaching your brain and telling you that you're in pain. So this is a dysregulated system. You don't have something painful happening, but you're still feeling that pain and it's extremely debilitating and uncomfortable. So in this way, using cannabis and activating your ECS, activating that CB1 receptor, can actually prevent and stop some of those pain signals from reaching your brain so you don't feel like you're in as much pain. And this is similar for so many stories and so many different benefits of medicinal cannabis. So some molecules from the plant that activate the CB1 receptor like THC and CBN, but the endocannabinoids from our body also activate the CB1 receptor. When endocannabinoids are needed in the body, they are produced on the spot, they're immediately manufactured, they're used on that receptor, and then they're immediately recycled. So how is our body magically doing this? We don't have little workers in our body that are making them. Instead, we have the help of these little molecular machines called enzymes. Enzymes are actually a type of protein, but their function in the body is to do tasks. So 
So pertaining to the ECS, the task of these specific groups of enzymes are to build the endocannabinoids and then to break them down. But enzymes involved in the ECS are also a really interesting drug target. The thought here is if we can prevent the enzyme that breaks down the endocannabinoids, then they're going to be able to stick around for longer and keep acting on that CB1 receptor. Now, do we need a pharmaceutical drug to do this? Or is weed a great and safer and maybe even better equivalent? I'm not really sure, but I think it's still really interesting and cool research regardless, and I'm sure it would help many people. So speaking of drugs that work on the ECS, let's talk about why we shouldn't mess too much with drugs that deactivate the ECS and work in different ways compared to the plant compounds and the ones that our body makes. Both THC and anandamide work in really similar ways. They both can partially activate the CB1 receptor, meaning they can't fully turn it on, but they're able to turn it on partially. Then the other endocannabinoid, 2-AG, can fully activate the CB1 receptor and cause more of an effect. But either way, all of these compounds are activating the CB1 receptor. Now, a while ago, researchers said, hey, if THC gives people the munchies when they use it, then can we just create a drug that works in the opposite way that THC works and maybe it would make people not want to eat as much and it can act as an anti-obesity drug. Now this was a good thought. It was a good hypothesis for the laboratory, but unfortunately it really isn't that simple. The researchers overlooked the fact that the ECS doesn't just control appetite. The ECS controls things like our sleep cycle, our mood, our pain threshold, inflammation, literally everything. There are no isolated systems in the body, and especially when we think about the ECS, because its main job is to control other systems. It's literally intertwined with every other signaling system in the body, the dopamine system, the serotonin system everything else. So these researchers tried to produce a drug called Ramonabon, which was never approved in the United States, but it was approved overseas and started to get prescribed to people. And you know what? It actually did work as an anti-obesity drug. People were losing weight and seeing those endpoints that they desired, which is great. But unfortunately, they also had extremely negative side effects for their mental health, especially pertaining to suicidal ideation. So flipping the effects of THC and flipping the effects of our endocannabinoids doesn't make you just want to eat less. It also makes you want to kill yourself. So lesson learned for the researchers, I hope, and I hope everyone's aware of the story so it never happens again. You just can't turn off one component of the ECS and expect that nothing else is going to be influenced by this. The ECS is literally involved in every process of the body and really shouldn't be messed with in that way. I also think this is kind of the beauty of cannabis and cannabis products is that they really do work similar to the way that our own body and our own ECS works. It acts very similar to our endogenous cannabinoids, which is definitely one of the reasons why it is as safe as it is because it's working in a similar way that our own body functions. Now, the last topic I want to discuss here in the realm of medicinal cannabis is the theory of clinical endocannabinoid deficiency, or CED. This theory was developed by Dr. Ethan Russo, and I'm definitely going to attach the paper in the show notes of this episode and also add it on Patreon. It's a great paper to read, and it's not too complex. 
This, paper, this theory essentially says that some people with chronic and treatment-resistant conditions like fibromyalgia, migraines, and IBS may be due to having lower levels of endocannabinoids in their body, aka your body is not producing enough of these endocannabinoids leading to the development of these conditions. People who specifically suffer from these conditions could benefit from using cannabis because in a way you are supplementing your ECS and providing it with something that it is deficient in, at least theoretically. And if your body is already not making enough of these molecules, you can get your body back to balance or homeostasis by being able to supplement it with the molecules from the plant because they act in similar ways as the compounds that our body makes. Not only do I think that there's sufficient evidence for this theory scientifically and mechanistically, but also I've talked to hundreds of these people who suffer with these conditions. I myself suffer from migraines and these people really do benefit from using cannabis and many people have tried pharmaceutical drugs or even other naturopathic medicines and nothing else works. This is also partly why people who suffer from these conditions like fibromyalgia, migraines, and IBS are often qualifying conditions for medical cannabis programs. I think the most important takeaways from this episode and from learning about the ECS in general is that cannabis acts pretty specifically on your body and on the system, and it acts in a really similar way as the compounds that our own body is producing. This system is the reason why there are so many different medicinal benefits to this plant, because again, the system is intertwined throughout our entire body, and it really helps control the other systems in the body. If you chronically feel like something is off in your body or dysregulated, then using cannabis oftentimes can help bring regulation to that system. I hope that the next time that you're talking to someone who maybe isn't fully in support of cannabis or just wants to know more about how it works in the body, I hope you bring up the ECS. We're going to keep talking about the ECS throughout this podcast, and I hope that this episode can be a resource to look back on in the future. If you're ever confused or just need to like get a little refresher, make sure you come back to this episode. Cannabis is medicine, and there is legitimate science behind it. It has been studied for decades and it will continue to be studied as we learn more about this incredible system and how it works in the body and different ways that we can benefit from it. I'm sure I missed about a billion things here, but luckily if I did, this is my podcast so I can just tell you about it in future episodes. If you have questions about the ECS or maybe you want to learn more about a specific topic or learn more about a specific qualifying condition for a medical cannabis program, you can either write it in the comments on the YouTube video, you can message me on Patreon, you can also leave a review of this podcast on Spotify and Apple. And what you can write in that review is what you want to learn about on this podcast. If you like this episode or you learned something in general, please consider dropping a five-star review and like and subscribe on YouTube. This podcast is brand spanking new and your interaction could really make a huge difference. I appreciate each and every one of you, but I also really respect your feedback. So mad love. We will see you next week. And I have a really awesome guest lined up that I'm excited to share with you. 